Hi everyone and welcome back to Hit the Apex. The break is over and the racing comes back at last and in what feels like it's been a bit of a while it's good to have some racing action back on and uh, back into this caper as well. So as always I'm Jawad joined by Baden. Um, second half of the season is here finally and we start off with the, uh, the beautiful and scenic spa circuit for the Belgian Grand Prix. Yes, great to be back and, and great to see the rain back and giving Mercedes the leg up just as we did entering the, the summer break. It's as though nothing's changed. Not at all. Um, as we would have seen qualifying last night, Mercedes taking advantage of the uh, wet conditions to take pole position, of course, ahead of Ferrari. But, um, you know, as we capped in our mid-season special, 24-point gap between Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel, um, five wins to four between the two as well. And I guess... The onus, as we said last time, squarely on Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel to make a statement in the second half of the year, given that in previous seasons, this is where it's sort of their championship challenge sort of just peters away. So, you know, looking at how they've matched up here in the past, Seb's won two races in Spa, 2011-2013 uh, for Red Bull, and Hamilton's had three wins. And, of course, I think the past two years he's won here and now five pole positions as well in total for Lewis Hamilton at Spa. So going to be a difficult one, but what Ferrari have shown this year is that they can come to a Mercedes stronghold, that's the word I'm looking for, um, already we're screwing this up. Okay, they can come to a Mercedes stronghold and win races like they did in Canada and at Silverstone. So, you know, given that in the dry conditions, Ferrari were really strong in the early part of the weekend, can we expect them to get the leg up during the race uh, later today? Well, it's easier said than done based on, excuse the cynicism, but the, the, the way the last few races have petered out, it doesn't matter how dominant Ferrari is for the greater portion of proceedings it always seems that the the downpour strikes at the most inopportune moment and it doesn't matter if Vettel might get a good jump off the line starting p2 there he's very much looking strong if if there's a clear forecast for for this evening but i wouldn't <laughs> rule out again more more really butchery and mercedes romping away if rain does strike it just seems as though hamilton's really uh, capitalized on those variable conditions of late and the next weekend really this time next week if if mercedes wins one or both then it's going to be really hard suddenly to see for all the talk of ferrari having having the better package they've they've just not been able to to make it work and i guess again mercedes you'll have to credit them if they do maybe they haven't got for the first time since 2014 the outright best car, but they're always there making it count in these moments when everyone else just stuffs it up. Well, Spa and Monza have been two Mercedes fortresses over the hybrid era, and I think when you look back, it's only one race that they've dropped at both those venues since 2014, and that was the 2014 Belgian Grand Prix, which went to Daniel Ricciardo when we saw the two Mercedes guys get into a bit of fisticuffs at the front. So... It'll be crucial, as we've said all along, that of these two races, Ferrari win one or both of them as far as their championship is concerned. And looking back to Spa, of course, Ferrari, they've last, their last win here came back in 2009, and that was, of course, with Kimi Raikkonen. And Kimi Raikkonen, we were saying, could he win this weekend? And then, of course, when we saw what happened in qualifying, it's like, well, from seventh, it doesn't look very possible, does it? Um, it might be difficult, but, you know, who knows? But... 
Kimmy, he's had four wins. He's had the most of any driver of the current batch, including a couple of back-to-back wins, of course, when he was in the Ferrari. So, you know, let's not rule that out entirely, but it is mm. pretty unlikely. It's not going to happen. We've just pretty much gone from start of the year, he'll never win another race for Ferrari, to when will it happen to, you know, he couldn't make this stuff up. Pretty much he's looking like the man to beat until midway through Q3 out of fuel. It's hard not to be a bit jilted about it all at this point. Oh, well, as, as always, you know, it, it, we're not even 10 minutes in and we're already expressing the cynicism <laughs> again. But, um, yeah, I guess it's uh, the numbers are there in his favour. He likes the circuit. He was getting those laps together, but then... Just you know, it all fell away for him at the end of the at the end of the um, Q3. So could a podium be on the hands? Perhaps you know you'd hope so. As P3 far as, clearly as it's far his... as helping, yeah. Well, P3 and he's done a run of podiums as well. I think he's chasing a sixth consecutive podium this season too. So he's been pretty reliable, has Kimi. But um, Red Bull, you know, could they be in the hunt if there is some rain or some chaos during the race as well, as we saw uh, Force India, the racing point Force India team, of course, um, revived the new entry this weekend up there in qualifying Esteban Ocon, a career best third on the grid, Sergio Perez, career best, well, matching his career best fourth on the grid. So could they have the speed on a circuit which this team seems to do really, really well at? When you look back through their history, back when they were Jordan and then even as Force India back in 2009 when they had the uh, the podium here so you know they seem to really go well around here the Force India team yeah the acrimony 12 months ago could have been a lot worse and that was probably the the breaking point for those relations they had to um, close ranks pretty quickly there to um, get the, the drivers into line and they've probably taken that respect to a, a new level this season but it's clear to see that the way uh, testament to both drivers with all that stuff going on off the track and they're here now miraculously even though uh, this iteration starts from scratch in the constructors that they've really um, built their way through that field again and, and on merit they're perhaps um, pushing it to be the outright fourth best team on the grid particularly on a given weekend they've really been much closer to that pointy end and something like this where they've locked out that second row and again who knows what will happen during the race with the the weather there there's every chance they'll get one or both cars in, in the top five and that, that'd be just huge just for the morale and regardless what happens particularly with with Ocon if he's even racing for them this time next we- weekend that's a, another story but it's just great to see that um, they're, they're able to go out there and be competitive. Yeah, well, we'll talk more about Ocon and the future a bit later, but um, I thought coming into this weekend that we would have seen Renault um, come back and be that fourth quickest team, but here we go, Force India suddenly have jumped up, um, I guess helped by those changeable conditions, but Renault, they had a shocking qualifying, and they're way down the order, um, behind Haas, and then even the Toro Rosso guys, which is exciting to see. Um, Pierre Gasly 10th and now Brendan Hartley starting from 11th as a result of Valtteri Bottas who takes a a grid penalty for um, going beyond his allocated power unit um, limit so he'll be starting from the back of the grid so you know what can Renault do it's going to be crucial Huss that have been on form I guess over the last few races after all that Acrimony, I guess, in the first part of the year where, you know, only one car was scoring points. Now, Grosjean's picking up a few results here and there, Austria, and then, then again in, um, was it Germany or Hungary? He was in sixth or something. 
Yeah, he's got a couple in Germany. I think he was sixth. Yeah, wasn't he so in the um, one of you know he's starting to pick up points here and there, and both the guys are going to be starting inside the top ten. Well, he's on fifth, isn't he? On yeah, the route, we're yeah. starting. Um, no, Matt Verstappen's fifth, so I think it might be sixth or seventh for. For Grosjean, I should have written this down anyway. Um, I didn't plan on this. Uh, so, yeah, Haas in a better position, of course, than Renault. Um, McLaren, again, just Stoffel Van Dorn struggling. It's been the story of the season. Fernando Alonso, unhappy as well now that we know he's retiring. It's basically his F1 farewell tour commences. He won the race back here in the start of the year in the World Endurance Championship for Toyota. So it's not like he's going to be visiting the rostrum anytime soon, I guess, in an F1 car. And we'll talk a lot about Alonso as well a bit later. We'll go over his career and how it's sort of petered <laughs> the, out. To, the Odyssean tragedy that it's been. It's, it is basically, you could talk about it as a Odyssean or a Shakespearean tragedy. So yeah, more on Alonso a bit later, but as far as the race is concerned, then um, dry conditions, you know, it's a short run to turn one. Chaos always ensues when we're at Spa, so could um, Sebastian make that move that he needs to, to take the lead and then just romp away, or will, as you predict, Lewis Hamilton end up just getting the clear run and going into to the lead of the race and scoring another 25 points? Oh, Vettel's got a lot more going in his favour than Hungary, where he was clearly the, the driver of the race there, just being being held up behind the, the notional wingman and, and all that board about after the the, uh, the summer break commenced. But you can see that if he can get a, a good start, then it's really down to what the elements do. But they just need to bank it no matter how ugly it might be. It's just crucial for, for momentum that he really reasserts um, that dominance Ferrari has on paper and for Hamilton he's probably got nothing to lose there and he's really always had a good record at at Belgium and he'll know if the rain's there he'll be very confident and you just hope that for, for the rest of them like the uh, four sinews particularly that that they're unscathed you saw what happened in the Saab maybe 2012 when they had a, a great uh, qualifying and it was destroyed by the antics on the first lap you can only hope a similar fate doesn't before Force India. Yeah, you don't want anyone getting maldonado off the start, of course. But um, going back to what you just said about wingmen, um, Valtteri Bottas, the uh, wingman, unfortunately not at the front of the grid where he should be. You reckon, I just had this thought then, that what if um, there's a bit of a conversation between Toto Wolff and Esteban Ocon um, pre-race and saying, well, you know, if you can be our wingman today, you know, that we could try and get you a seat somewhere. <laughs> well, we'll just kick out Bottas now. It's yeah. like, oh, you might be the driver of the season, but you're gone because we're ruthless. Yeah, so, you know, what if um, Lewis Hamilton gets uh, Ocon to be his wingman for the race? Because I guess they're a bit exposed, both guys. It's, you know, you don't want external trouble or external forces coming into it but the way that you know we saw it in Hungary as well as you said that um, Bottas basically holding up Vettel when he was making his charge back towards the front so you know could there be some kind of uh, tactics there between Mercedes and Force India Um, we hope not we want to see a straight fight between the Ferrari and the Mercedes but you know it's hard not to have that in the back of your mind considering this is F1 and there is a lot of dastardly tactical stuff that they get up to yeah when it reaches this point your end of the season all bets are off essentially and you can't blame them for deploying i guess um drivers who might be in another race suit particularly the the delicate position ocon finds himself in he might just be a little malleable if his uh, livelihood in f1's on the line 
Exactly. So hopefully we have an exciting race to view this evening. Can't say that I'm too excited about the uh, the late start, as we've been moaning on about all season. But, you know, there's probably only a few of them to go as far as 2018 is concerned. So we'll just have to brave it out. Let's go into the digest really quickly as well. Just looking over at what's going on elsewhere in the world of motorsport too. So... Alonso was back in action last weekend at Silverstone. He had um, the six-hour race there, and he did win, but we saw that win taken away with a technical infringement, um, seeing both Toyotas stripped of their 1-2 finish, and, of course, um, you know, just more drama, I guess, in the whole WEC at the moment with LMP1, where, you know, despite the fact that they've tried to balance the performance, you know, the hybrid cars still just dominate the rest of the field so let's just kick him out of the race because of a flaw deflection or something like that yeah, it's probably not been a great look for wec it was always going to be tough with all of that exodus on the manufacturer front but it's uh, starting to to bear the the true cost now that the, the season's moving on and we've got that unique um i guess summer winter season over two calendar years where there's a lot that could go down, and I guess that again that the following season's also going to follow that structure. Whilst the the long term future of WEC as well, you see Ford and Ferrari um, removing themselves from the equation with the the future regs. So they've got a bit of a a funk. They've got to get them their own um, future out of, let alone Formula One. With all the talk about will that will they or won't they? move on to a yeah. new set of regs in 2021 who knows the same about wec They're just uh, maintaining the status quo i guess but um yeah that's an interesting topic to talk about next time but as far as that race was concerned there was plenty of chaos everywhere and um even in the gt categories as well quick um shout out to matt campbell of course winning after his winning um, ways at le mans as well earlier in the year and now winning this race too in that Dempsey Proton Porsche and um, over to Indy cars now and last week we had this sickening um, shunt at Pocono Raceway in the start I think it was in the second or third lap of the race and Robert Vickens severely injured in that crash and now a week on um, we've heard some good news after some successful surgery he's breathing unassisted and he's talking to his family as well but um, yeah at first it was hard not to have the the worst fears because it was pretty sickening and spinal injuries as well whenever those come into play it is pretty it's pretty shocking yeah at this stage um, pretty uncertain and can understand they're going to keep it pretty closely guarded but it's probably going to take a few weeks and, and months for that full extent to to come to light but the main thing is that it seems as though he's out of the immediate danger front there if if the gravity indeed that recent update showing that he had been breathing with, with assistance that that wasn't really out there initially so it does show you how critical it was for a while there and just a reminder of indycar particularly in, in ovals that it can bite you really badly and that debate about halos and the catch fencing and the, um, the antiquated nature of, of perhaps that, that style, whether it's had its day, but um, clearly you can see that they put it all on the line and, and you've got to take your hat off as well to those drivers that they they go out there each time and, and risk it all and it just shows you there's something about the spectacle that it, it's, it's truly captivating, but at the same moment, whether they're going to have to have their own time to pause and think about what, what they're going to do to to make improvements as f1 has done well i guess um the big thing to take away from it was the fact that 
Um, the current chassis is being hailed as probably being the best yet. Um, they're saying that 10 years ago, if this something like this had happened, then certainly it would have resulted in the worst possible outcome. But the chassis on its own, pretty strong. But yeah, the whole head protection thing. And now we saw this week here in Australia, a new open wheel category launched in the Super 5000. And that chassis has been launched with the Halo head protection device, which, you know, of course... The junior formulas in Europe are using, of course, Formula One this year controversially and whatnot. And, you know, after how many races now, 12 races into the championship, we don't really pay attention to the Halo much at all. And it is doing its job. It's done its job in the junior category. So, you know, perhaps IndyCar, it's time for them to embrace something like that as well. But we're not complete experts in that category. So perhaps we can't speak for what the benefits and the arrow and all that sort of stuff is involved but hopefully in the future they do explore some kind of head protection yeah i think between um seeing the benefits formula one's already had there's been a few close calls you could say and it's certainly already been justified in that sense alone through the some of those lower categories has been some very hairy moments and and for indycar alone just the, the spectacle of the the racing it's been on the, the rise in recent seasons so it's definitely headed in the right direction since reaching that low point really in the 2000s and, and then you consider as well fernando alonso's future whether he'll be deterred at all by those events uh, last weekend you'd hope not and and you just think the profile though it will it will survive this and as long as um, they can learn from it and whatever happens with robert wickens whether he's ever back in a cockpit or not that his own well-being is something that's addressed first of all and sure that recovery process just take as long as he needs to, to get himself right and see him in the the paddock one day in whichever capacity in the future it'll be a, a great one yeah having a stellar um rookie season was weekends up until that crash of course but uh let's move it on then into the first of a couple of discussions we're going to have um after our mid-season special of course it was inevitable that we would have a flurry of um silly season news and um driver movement and everything and i guess the big thing we're going to talk about is um as we alluded to before the tragedy that is fernando alonso's formula one career and i guess you know it sort of didn't come as too much of a surprise when the announcement was made that he would be stepping away at the end of this season um from formula one it's unknown what he's going to do next year at this stage but, you know, given the last few years and how they've sort of uh, just fizzled away with another ill-fated career move going back to McLaren in 2015, you know, a driver who's boasted 300-plus starts, 32 wins, 22 poles, 17 seasons, and only yielding two titles, it's, you know, it has to be looked at as a bit of a tragedy because... Ultimately, most people are going to remember Alonso for the titles that he's missed out on rather than the two that he won with Renault. And, you know, when you look at 2007 with McLaren and then 2010 and 2012 with Ferrari, you know, there's three titles right there that, you know, you combine the points that he lost out by. It's not even double digits. It's eight points across those three seasons that he lost three titles with. So, you know, this is what we're going to be remembering Alonso for ultimately. And then there's the hypotheticals that he not had the acrimony at McLaren in 07, might have had a chance again in 08, had he moved to Red Bull instead of returning to Renault in 08 or 09, goes to Red Bull there, and he probably would have had the chance to have done what Vettel did and won multiple titles and 
Had he remained at Ferrari beyond 2014, he might have been where Vettel is now. So he, he could have had seven or eight titles. Instead, he's only got the two. But it, it's really all wishful thinking to debate where he could have been. But yeah. it just shows you that it feels like a completely different generation when he did win those titles. And when you look at the, the drivers that have come and gone and the fans since then, very few of them will remember, really. It's a great shame that uh, unlike those who go out probably on top. Alonso is just um, really fizzled away, particularly um, since probably, probably 2013 was the last time you can say that he was at the, the thick of it, and it's just been something to forget ever since then. Yeah, I guess, and this is where the criticisms sort of come into uh, describing his career, where, you know, he, whilst being one of the most fiercest wheel-to-wheel racers as we've seen over the years, he's h- hardly been a team builder, and I guess you know, public pressure that he mounts on certain parties and just the pre- his presence alone is can be a bit toxic, they say, as well. And, you know, 2007, probably the best example there with McLaren and, you know, being rattled by Lewis Hamilton, a rookie at the time, and, you know, thinking that this would be his team to dominate. But, you know, Hamilton comes in and uh, shows him up, basically. But then, you know, Ferrari as well, you know, Sebastian Vettel was the hot thing at the time and uh, Alonso just putting the pressure on Ferrari to perform and Ferrari just kept cracking Uh, and by the time 2014 rolled around and this is where you I guess this hypothetical sort of doesn't really work out ultimately is that you know if he stayed beyond Ferrari uh, 2014 I think if he had stayed they would have gotten worse it's about you know the, the fact that he's gone and the previous management had departed as well that you know Ferrari were able to get a breath of fresh air and change um, where they're at and now how many four years later that we see them in championship contention at last so I guess yeah just the pressure that Alonso brings with him perhaps has uh, corrupted a few teams as well along the way and um, let's look at 2015 to 2017 with the public pressure on Honda I mean not the best image of course and um, you know Honda may not have been doing such a bad job but just the way that Alonso made those public portrayals probably made it a lot worse than it was yeah it's just relentless and you can understand his frustration and being given some I wouldn't say uh, ironclad assurances that'd be the team to beat but certainly that um, upward trajectory it just never transpired particularly by 20. 17 so it was understandable that he was at that breaking point particularly last year when it was a almost a daily basis he would come out with a another quote there just to, to sink that knife further in and um i guess for, for honda that you've seen that they've probably had a, a new lease of life and been able to cleanse themselves with toro rosso and now it'll be red bull and um, they've learned their lessons but for for McLaren, particularly with Alonso, they've just been on a, a ship that's just sinking further and further. And who knows whether in Alonso's absence it allows McLaren to draw a definitive clean slate. And you can only hope that for, for both of them, wherever Alonso surfaces and McLaren in the not-too-distant future, that they're both a bit happier sooner than later. Well, we had Jensen Button come out, of course, before the... Silverstone six-hour race saying that, you know, it it might be years yet before McLaren actually recover themselves from the hole that they're in. So, you know, not very encouraging from there. But Alonso didn't really definitively say that this was it for him in Formula One. Could he yet do a Nigel Mansell and come back in a couple of years' time? 
Um, or a Schumacher. <laughs> or, or a Schumacher, you know, as well, I guess. Or a Raikkonen or well, a Lauda. You know, well, explain. the reason I say Mansell is because Alonso's career, you know, Mansell, before he made that comeback, it was sort of a bit unfulfilled at the time. And, you know, Alonso the same, only having won two titles. Could he come back, you know, with a Mercedes? Or if McLaren do turn things around in the next few years, does he come back and perhaps win a title with them? Finally, get... Uh, Hard to see him come back if he's 40-something, being the top 20... of the wish list for many teams. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, I guess even though he says himself that it's probably not the... It's not definitively the end, you can sort of count on it being, you know, given the long list of talent that's yet to come into Formula 1 and the way, you know, the current grid, we're talking about Esteban Ocon potentially not having a drive for next season. So, you know, first shore up the guys who are the future of the category before looking back at its past. But, um, yeah, you know, it's hard not to just summarise Alonso's career as being a bit of a tragedy in that sense. You know, two titles in two years, but then after that it just sort of fell away really quickly. And... Um, you know, what does the future hold for him? He's, for the last two years, he's been going on about the Triple Crown. He's completed two legs of that now with the Le Mans win this year and, of course, Monaco Grand Prix wins that he's had during his F1 career. So, you know, it seems ideally... or It seems logical that next year he'll be doing IndyCar and trying to win the Indy 500. Yeah, I guess, really, again, he's got nothing to lose and how extensive that package might be alongside WEC or Pikes Peak or NASCAR or supercars, as I've considered maybe some wildcard showings. He's clearly able to dip his toes there and be flexible, so he can do whatever he wants and be a little bit selfish in, in that regard, that, that idea of chasing the triple crown and then some with these other really illustrious events there. They hold a lot of prestige, and I guess regardless of, of anything else in F1, he's still going to be remembered very highly for for his stature, and it was just more a case of his on-track ability counted by um, the man himself as it is off-track, and as far as the team goes, it's similar enough to, to Lewis Hamilton where people might rank him as one of the all-time greats, but then they question maybe personality side, but it's something you've got to remove, I guess, when you're considering them purely as the racing driver, and he'll always be up there when you consider the all-time list of legends. Yeah, well, those list of legends, I guess, you know, all of them were pretty polarising to to everyone, regardless of, um, like, to to you, someone else might be polarising to me, someone else might, someone, a completely different driver could be, so yeah, completely subjective is that list and whatnot, and I guess, um, yeah, we'll just have to see what the rest of the season holds for Alonso, and, um, you know, next year it'll definitely feel a bit different without him there, but at the same time, watching him just flounder around in the midfield or not even in the midfield it's the only reason it's entertaining is because we get to hear the team radio all the time so you know without that it's probably we're not going to really miss much if it's just going to be him stuck there oh at this point um as far as from from what he had to gain i think it's something that uh, you can see for him as long as he gets satisfaction out of whatever he's He's driving, it's better than continuing to, to languish instead of the good memories, which would have been nice for him to, to finish on, but it, it just shows that's not the way it works out sometimes. And basically, whatever he is going to do next year, it's only going to attract a, an audience to that 
side of the world as well. So if he goes over to do IndyCar, you know, I'm sure IndyCar will get a boost in its audience as well, given that, you know, when he went to the Indy 500, there was a lot of people tuned in just to see how Alonso went. So, you know, IndyCar might get a boost in popularity, not that it already um, isn't quite popular anyway worldwide, but, yeah, just the Alonso fans will definitely be tuning in. Yeah, I think it'd be at an all-time high since that reunification, if if nothing else, and clearly they're going to work hard on the marketing front to, to base Alonso as the, the crux of that, even though there's so many others there, they can leverage him to show that there's a whole other pool of talent there, and hopefully it just opens up that window of opportunity for, for cross-promotions, <coughs> who knows whether F1 can actually get in on it in some way, whether it's through McLaren, maybe in association with one of the established teams in Indy, whatever it might be, you can you can see that they're really going to benefit from it if, if he does commit full time. Yeah, exactly. So we'll leave uh, Alonso's career um, there then and move over to our second discussion, and that was all the, the mid-season driver movement. So when we did our mid-season review, we only had the Daniel Ricciardo news that he'd be leaving Red Bull to go to Renault. But since then, we've had a flurry of activity, uh, as you'd expect, and um, we'll start things off, of course, with Red Bull. So Red Bull have... Uh, announced that they're going to be replacing Ricardo by promoting Pierre Gasly, which I guess was not much surprise considering um, McLaren had announced that uh, they'd be bringing in Carlos Sainz to replace Alonso. And I guess there was no surprise in the fact that Red Bull hadn't gone for Sainz because I thought that once Sainz had left the Red Bull fold when he went to Renault um, late last year that you know, there would be no chance he'd be coming back to Red Bull ever or going to Red Bull Racing, given that Max Verstappen's still there. Those two those two guys have a lot of history. And, you know, science, I guess, just indirectly discarded by Red Bull, you could say, given the fact that, um, you know, Verstappen is the guy who they're sort of placing their eggs into the basket of. And, you know, Gasly, he's still, you know... I guess only in his first season and whatnot, he's not going to trouble Verstappen straight away. But uh, Science, someone who needs to sink his teeth into a team and develop and everything, I guess, you know, McLaren was probably the only place for him to go to where he can develop. Yes, as Ricardo acknowledged that Verstappen was the nucleus of Red Bull's future efforts, so is Science and probably recalling that partnership they had at Toro Rosso. He's made that call and instead of thinking. Uh, well, go there and, and have what would be a great seat, but be marginalised. He might as well throw his hat in at McLaren, be part of that, that slow build, but he's got every chance now of being that one to lead them out of the slump in two or three seasons. And just as Ricardo could be the man for, for Renault in a year or two, you can see that there's there's a lot to be gained by um, gaining some independence there from that Red Bull umbrella. And, and you just hope, that if nothing else, it's a bit of... Um, variety for the grid just to see things shaken up and if it works out it's just great to see some guys there taking that leap of faith and you just hope it's rewarded. Yeah so a big shake up for next year already but you know given that those guys have announced their lineups and everything we still have Ferrari, Force India, House, Salva, McLaren and Toro Rosso yet to finalise their 
uh, pairings for next season. So that's still more than half the grid yet. And now um, the latest in regards to Force India or Racing Point Force India, the new team, is that, you know, given the fact that it's Lawrence Stroll who's made the investment in the team, that his son Lance will be shipped across from Williams as early as the next race in Monza next weekend. And that'll, I guess, um, just start a little domino effect with uh, Ocon being not kicked, effectively kicked out, I guess, to make way for Stroll. So Ocon, he goes to McLaren. Robert Kubitzer comes in to replace Stroll at Williams. And uh, Stoffel Vandorn, who will find himself out of a McLaren seat, might end up at Sauber, as you just said earlier, with Marcus Ericsson making way there. And, of course, Sauber, the affiliation between Frederick Masur and and um, Stoffel van Dorn there coming to the Belgians' aid. So, you know, a lot to still play out there. But then when we look as far as next year's concerned, Toro Rosso, someone like Alexander Albon, perhaps, you know, a former, even though he's still a young driver, he's already been disassociated by Red Bull for next, um, by the Red Bull driver program. Could he be brought back in? Lando Norris loaned out to Toro Rosso so James Key can come across to McLaren. There's still plenty to play out. Yeah, and who knows, even for, for Norris, there's a chance yet he could end up at McLaren despite his own sentiments, the fact he's getting this free practice running and he'll again next weekend at Italy. So perhaps McLaren's just um, considering all its options and at least if, if he doesn't end up at McLaren, then the chances are you'll find maybe an A seat at Toro Rosso if he doesn't um, do that further season, which Norris has talked about of, of development. But it's clear that he's going to be very much... Um, part of McLaren's future it's just whether it will be uh, immediately or 2020 and, and beyond but for Toro Rosso you'd, you'd hope that just like Hartley that they sure they saw that he was probably the right man for the the moment but Albon as far as um, where he's at and in terms of direct lineage from um, F2 that he's worthy of a chance and um, you just hope that they're happy to, to give someone a go. And you can see that for, for Gasly, he's probably the, the interesting one out of it all. You just hope that he emerges and doesn't find himself <laughs> put on the scrap heap as a certain Danny Kafiat was when he was rushed through the ranks too quickly. But you can just see that at the same time, anyone who is involved with Red Bull, they, they, they're probably going to be a bit sceptical regardless, but they're going to jump at a chance if a seat does come knocking. Well, I guess with Gasly as well, one positive thing to think, think about is that um, given the fact that he's had a year of driving with that Honda Power unit under his belt, his knowledge could be pretty crucial when he comes over to Red Bull next year. So perhaps he might not be in the same position as Kvyat was. But again, as I was saying off air, so fickle is Red Bull that, you know, McLaren got, I guess, blasted for their treatment of Honda. You know, there's, there was no different between what McLaren did with Honda than Red Bull did with Renault. So if Honda don't hit the ground running next year, you know, could we be in for the same story, basically? But instead, it's it's Red Bull with Honda this time. So, you know, that's one thing to look out for. And I think, you know, the worst-case scenario is that, yeah, it's going to be a status quo. Yeah, I think uh, you can see that as far as Honda, Red Bull, there they've clearly done it the right way at least and probably been able to look from afar over the last few years to, to make the right moves and you hope with Gasly there that he's able just to, to be given a crack in, in his own regard with, with Verstappen who's clearly going to be the, 
de facto leader for the time being, but he's got to be given every chance. And for Toro Rosso, then you look at them, they've probably served their own role, but you do wonder in the long term about its its purpose perhaps in the sport. It's going to come up for questions, I think, every every season and who knows beyond 2020 where that might lie, but that's something to debate another time. Yeah, exactly. When the Concord Agreement is up for grabs, at least that is still going to happen in 2020 and 2021 if the rules do not change as has been talked about recently anyway. So yeah, I guess a lot to play out over the next few weeks, of course, and then the final European round of this championship next weekend in Monza. But before then, we've got Spa on this to enjoy this evening, and then we'll come back, talk about what happened in the race, and preview the Italian Grand Prix as well for next time. So um, we'll leave it at that for this week anyway. It's good to be back, of course, just excited about a race. Then we'll, I guess, talk about supercars as well over here at the Bend and MotoGP and everything else that's in between for, for next week. And sporting moment of the week, can't uh, go past Collingwood securing a top four berth and a double chance. It's been a long time coming, so can rest easy now and enjoy a, a nice week's break. Certainly they, they do need it with about 16 injuries and who knows what will happen. But regardless, it's been a successful season and anything more will be a bonus. Well, I almost forgot actually to, to do that. And actually there's something to, to celebrate as well for me on the football front this week with uh, the North Queensland Cowboys, I guess, sending Jonathan Thurston off um, in his final home game of the season at, in Townsville with a victory and a big vi- win at that against Parramatta. So the way that the Cowboys should have been playing all season long, you know, they've suddenly come into their stride in the last few games. And I guess uh, a perfect way to send out the legend that is JT, the immortal in waiting as we're all calling him um, with, I guess, what was his 100th win on home on on at his home ground at 1300 Smile Stadium. So yeah, one more game to go. Uh, against Gold Coast next week, and yeah, that's it for the career of JT. Yeah, and I guess uh, as much as it hasn't ended the way he wanted it to, at least he's able to have uh, returned from that shoulder injury and, and give a proper farewell, and, and whatever he, he does next, you can be happy to see that North Queensland's maybe got some momentum there to to rebuild to the, the heights of 2015 and even last year when they were so resilient with similar injuries to Collingwood, dare we say the comparison to to make that grand final, so they've still got a lot of upside. Yeah, exactly, so we'll leave it at that then for this week, thanks for joining us and plenty to talk about in a few days time when we're back to preview Monza. Till then.